Good morning. Let us open God's word together today. Um, we will be reading from Matthew 6, verses 5 to 15. And this is Jesus' word to us. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in fill, full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not pray and keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you, forgiven, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, for your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of God. So we are in a series here leading up as we prepare as a church community for the celebration of Easter. And uh, this series we're calling Habits of Grace, which are some refer to these spiritual practices as spiritual disciplines. Um, uh, many theologians of uh, other eras, past eras, re- referred to these as the means of grace, um, which are the, these practices, these um, disciplines, these habits of life, these practices of life that um, put us in the path where Jesus passes by, put us in the position to receive God's grace um, because he's promised to work through these practices. And so we've talked about uh, being a people who are daily in the scripture, who are hearing from um, and whose lives are marked by a commitment to the word of God, to, to hearing from him on a regular basis uh, in the scripture. Um, whether that's uh, hear, hearing it preached weekly here, whether that's hearing God's word uh, taught on podcasts, whether that's hearing, uh, reading books that are um, based on the scripture, and following a scripture reading plan daily just to continually hear uh, the heart, the mind, the truth uh, of God that he reveals in the scripture as we follow, as we want to be a people who follow after him. We've talked about fasting and how um, Jesus, actually right after in this, uh, the passage that Jess just read for us, says, when you fast. He assumes that we will be a people who fast. He says in another place in Matthew's gospel, that, um, that he assumes and he says that when he has ascended to heaven, when he, um, Jesus, after he ascends to heaven, his, his disciples will be a people who fast. And so as a church community, we have been um, encouraging you to participate in what we're calling the Grace Initiative, where we would commit to fast and to pray, seek God's face for our friends um, who have not yet experienced, who have not yet tasted the grace of God, and so that we would 
um, daily pray for them, that we'd connect with them and share the story of God's saving activity and grace in our lives. And that we'd fast and ask that the, the, the saving and the renewing grace of God would break into their lives. And one of the things we're encouraging you to do is maybe invite them to come uh, and worship together with us on Easter Sunday, which is a few weeks from now. There is an openness in, in the hearts and lives of people to, uh, who would not normally uh, worship and, and attend a worship gathering to come on, on a day like Easter. And so we have these cards at the front. You can check those out. Um, later. This morning we're talking about um, the, the discipline and the practice of prayer. And uh, again, the, the, the whole idea in this sermon series is not that we would be a people who re- really work really hard to make God love us more, that we would be a people who are really disciplined and, and God loves people who are disciplined. God loves people who, um, who do the things that he says he loves us more. No, it's um, it's, but there is an exertion of effort. As Dallas Willard has said, that grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning, which means that, that we don't earn God's love. There's, that the things that we do or don't do, the, things, um, our, the, the way of life doesn't earn God's love, his acceptance of us. But grace um, has a dynamic in our hearts that when we taste God's grace, when we receive God's grace, the good news of Jesus, when that's taken into the center of who we are, it changes our actions and our attitudes, it, and it causes us to exert effort in that regard. And so the analogy that we've been using in this series is one of sailing. As a, uh, someone, if you're, if you're sailing a boat, there's a lot of effort that uh, will be exerted. There's some 60 parts that um, need to be moved and placed, and I, and I don't really know anything about it, although I know that sailing is an Olympic Event. So these sailors are obviously considered athletes some way, somehow. And, and so there's effort exerted. But the, the effort exerted in sailing a boat isn't like, here's a pair of oars, now start rowing really hard. The effort is to get the sails, is to hoist the sails where the wind can blow on them. And God's Spirit is often referred to in the Scriptures as, as a wind that's blowing. The breath of God, the pneuma of God, is the the Greek word, and and so this this effort is the effort that's exerting to to hoist the sails where God has promised to be blowing, and so God has promised to meet His people in the Scripture. God has promised to meet people in prayer. God has promised uh, many things as we would give ourselves, exert ourselves um, in these disciplines. And the, the hope is that they become more than just disciplines, that we're not like beating ourselves over the back saying, oh, I guess it's time to read the Bible, but that uh, as it becomes habitual, it actually becomes a delight. It actually becomes a joy. There's so many things that we do um, that we can do by habit, and it's so much easier when things are habit. Think of learning to drive a car, right? Maybe some of you are... Um, in that uh, phase of life, you're turning 16, 17, and you're uh, beginning to learn how to drive a car. And so we're praying for your parents as they teach you that, um, because it's a kind of a nerve-wracking experience, right? There's so many things to think of, like, all right, I got to check my blind spot. I got to check my mirrors, this mirror and that mirror and this mirror and, and watch my speed and which, which pedal means go and which means stop. And do I use both feet or one foot or both? Like there's so many different things, right? But as you get experience and practice, 
they become habitual and automatic. And it's the same kind of thing that um, as we become experienced as, as prayer or as, as the reading of the scripture becomes habitual in our life, they, they become almost automatic. Not that they're rote and meaningless, but that they become just a, the decision uh, to do them become automatic so that every morning you're spending time with the Lord in, uh, in a devotional practice. And so um, if you've been around our ministry here at uh, Cornerstone for any length of time, you know that one of our, our hopes, one of the, even personally as a, as a pastor at Cornerstone, one of my great desires and great ambitions is that Cornerstone would become in increasing ways a praying church, that we'd be a, a people who are marked as a people of prayer, not just individuals of prayer, but as a community of prayer. You see, all throughout the scripture, that's actually a mark of, of God's people. Right from the very beginning in Genesis, it says, there's a, there's a little verse in, uh, I think it's Genesis chapter 4, where it says, and this is when people began to call on the name of the Lord. And it was um, all throughout the Old Testament scripture um, when the mark of God's people's faithfulness is when they were seeking God, when they were calling out to God, that prayer together, corporate prayer together was actually the mark of God's people. And as the church is born in the book of Acts, as Jesus ascends to heaven, the first things that his followers, the believers in Jesus do is they gather together and they were devoting themselves to prayer. Jesus said to wait for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes on them and they begin to preach the word and the church is formed. What does the church do? Acts 2.42 says that they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 6, a need arises where a group of widows are not being attended to in an appropriate way. And um, and, and, and so the apostles say, well, we can't abandon the teaching of the word of God to wait on tables. So we're going to raise up some people who can really meet these needs so that we can devote ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the word. This is the kind of church Jesus wants. One is that is devoted to prayer. When Jesus cleanses the temple, we've preached on this a number of times. We talked about it in John's gospel a few months ago. Jesus cleanses the temple. He's driving people out, and he says, You've made this temple a den of thieves, but my Father's house should be called a house of prayer. God's desire for the people of God, for the church, is to be a people of prayer. Not that we would ca- pray casually or flippantly, or, but rather earnestly and urgently, with, some, with, with fervor, not token prayer, you know, Jesus, in this passage we've read together in Matthew chapter 6, warns about just heaping up phrases, not, you know, cold, formulaic, now I lay me down to sleep, token kinds of prayers, but passionate, fervent, not even mindlessly memorized prayers, but fervent, earnest, urgent prayer. E.M. Bounds says, prayer without fervor is like, a sun, is like the sun without light or heat. It's like a flower without beauty or fragrance. You see, God's desire for us as a church is that we would be a church who prays not cold and distracted, casual prayer, but passionate prayer that means what it's doing. And the path to this, the path to becoming a praying person, the path to becoming a praying church is to be a people who um, reflect on the gospel of Jesus. When you reflect on the love of God shown to you in the death of Jesus, 
for you. The power of God that's seen in the resurrection of Jesus. We won't pray cold, small prayers. We're so convinced that that God is for you, that he loves you, and you begin to be a person of prayer. He's so, you're so convinced that he's able to, to accomplish these things. You pray big for big things. You know that he's for you, and you see that in the death of Jesus, and you know that he's able. You see that in the power of the resurrection of Jesus. So reflecting on the gospel of Jesus, his death for you and his resurrection for you, turns us into a people who will pay passionately, asking God for big and real things. As uh, Matt has joined our pastoral team here at Cornerstone, one of the ways in which he's encouraging us to think, and as we're thinking about discipleship here at the church, one of the ways in which he's encouraging us to think is about the movements of the church as being up, in, and out. That as disciples of Jesus and as a church collectively, corporately, um, the, the movements um, as, uh, of, of moving up and relating with God, of moving um, in and, and um, both personal formation and, and community formation as a church and out, spreading the good news of Jesus to the broader community. And so I want to just think about prayer this morning in those three movements, praying up, in, and out. And so praying up, first of all, um, prayer is directed to the triune God. We need to recognize that first as we, think, as we talk about prayer this morning. Prayer is directed to the triune God. Prayer, we don't, we're not just talking to some general, unspecified, nebulous, blase, catch-all spirit, right? We're praying to a specific God. The God who has revealed himself to us in the scripture. The God who's revealed to us in Jesus. We pray to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As, as the scriptures, especially the New Testament, uh, instructs us in prayer, it encourages, uh, encourages us to address our prayers to the Father. Say, Fa- our Father in heaven, right? We read that in Matthew chapter 6, what we often call the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaches us to pray to address God, not just even as, as God, but as Father address our prayers to the Father. We pray on the basis of the merits of Jesus, that we don't have to win God's favor. We don't have to win his ear. We don't have to win his heart, that Jesus has purchased for us the privilege of prayer, that Jesus has secured for us the opportunity and the privilege of approaching the Father in prayer. So we pray not based on our record and our merits. We pray based on the merits of Jesus, and we're led and directed by the Holy Spirit. As we pray up, one of the big things that I think we need to understand about prayer is that it's not just about getting things from God, that prayer is about meeting with God. Kind of a churchy word for that is communion with God. Communion with God or meeting with God. Jesus says when you pray, get alone so you can meet with God. That God wants to meet with you. God wants to spend time with you. He wants to make himself known to you. And so he says, pray like this, our Father in heaven. That Jesus is saying, teaching us in this prayer that, G, that he has come to reconcile us to God so that we who were enemies with God could become adopted sons and daughters of God. So we need to start there knowing that we're not praying to gain God's approval. We call that legalism. 
That, you know, if I pray enough, then God will accept me and approve of me. No, we pray out of grace because, that because of the work of Jesus and my response of faith that he does accept me, he does approve of me, and he welcomes us as his adopted children. So we're praying not to gain his approval, but because we already have it. We pray because we already have his approval. And so now prayer is a path of spiritual progress, of growing in this relationship. It's not a formula, right? It's not a hocus-pocus, you know, magic, you know, trick. It's not, a, it's not a, a spell that if you just say the right things in the right order that you can get from God whatever you want. But prayer isn't about getting things from God. Prayer is ultimately about getting God, about experiencing him, about experiencing friendship with God. Prayer is about meeting with him. And so, as Jeff referenced, we have these psalms in the, in, in the, in the scripture, this prayer book. And then we have these beautiful prayers. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul longs for you as in a dry and weary land. Your steadfast love is better than life. You are what I want. I want to know you and I want to know your love and I want to experience your grace. That's what prayer ultimately is for, as a means of experiencing God, of meeting with him. Praying up, I think, is also expressed in in our surrender to God. That it's not only meeting with God, but also surrendering to him. That in prayer, we align our lives with God. That we align our hearts with his heart. That we align our practical, even, lives with uh, his will, with his priorities, in our life. So we're praying that we would love his name, right? He says, hallowed be your name, it's, which is a word that means, hallowed is a word that means, would your name be revered? Would your name be honored? I want your name to become famous and treasured and loved and, 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 um, and appreciated. That I, we, we want you, God, we want your name to be honored. We want your name to be known and treasured. We want to see greater expressions of your rule and your reign, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we want God to be preeminent. We want God to matter more than anything else. No other name but your name, God. You know, we live in this celebrity infatuated culture. But we believe as followers of Jesus that there's only one name. That when it's all said and done, there's only one person who will possess any fame, status, or standing. And so we're praying for that now, that God, your name, Father, your name, the name of Jesus, would become famous and loved and treasured in our region today. That our lives would ultimately serve to display your glory. And so we want our practical lives to align with that now. And so I say our practical life, that's important. That aligning ourselves with the heart of God and the will of God has practical results in your life. If I pray, your name be hallowed, what I'm saying is I no longer want to compromise in order to protect my own reputation. That I'm willing to bear, as the scriptures say, the reproach of Jesus for the fame of God's name. And that has real practical results in our lives as we walk in this region today. If you pray things like your kingdom come, that has real results in 
real impact in your life. That you will no longer say, instead of hoarding resources for my own life to build up my own kingdom, I'm now going to release my life, release my time, my treasures, my talents to serve the kingdom of God, to advance the kingdom of God, to see righteousness, joy, and peace and justice brought about on this earth in the name of Jesus. So I won't hoard my resources for my kingdom and my conveniences and my comforts, but I'm going to release those things for his kingdom. And if I pray your will be done, what I'm saying is I no longer want to use excuses to justify the assertion of my own will. Right? So prayer is a surrendering of our hearts to God, of, of saying your will be done, your name be honored, not my own. Your kingdom come, not my own. And we're surrendering our lives again to him in prayer. So the upward dimension of prayer, I think, is a, is a worship, a praiseworthy, is declaring the praiseworthiness of God, of meeting with him and surrendering to him. So what do, I mean, what do we mean by praying in then? If we look at if praying up and now praying in. Not, not praying to yourself, but, or, um, but praying about ourselves. About really dealing with ourselves. Give us today our daily bread. God, I'm fully dependent on you to meet my needs. Doesn't always feel that way. But Lord, I, I now humbly confess my dependence on you. Forgive me of my sin. Lead me in paths that are right and good and true and beautiful. Deliver me from the evil one. We're voicing in this this kind of prayer our total dependency upon God for everything in our lives, for our essential needs. And in prayer, we're offering to God the great concerns of our life, saying, this is what's troubling me. This is is the concern I have. This is what's causing me anxiety. The the scriptures say... um, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, present your requests. Make your requests known to God. These are the the things that are troubling my heart. And so, Lord, I'm making my request. This is my request. I'm making it known to you. And I'm surrendering it to you. And I'm presenting you this request. The upward dimension of his really worshiping, of, of meeting with God and yielding our lives to him. And the inward is saying, God, I need you in my life to meet my needs that are both great and small. And I'm going to trust your timing to bring those things about. It's also about our spiritual needs, right? It's confessing our sin to God, confessing our sin, that there are sins in my life that bring a strain on our relationship. They don't dissolve our relationship. That relationship is secured in Jesus. But they bring a strain upon our relationship. And I want my fellowship with you, my friendship with you to be renewed. And so please forgive me these sins as I turn from them. And so I want to, and Jesus, he, right, he connects our, our forgiveness of others with our prayer life. Did you catch that in Matthew 6? It says, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't, the Father will not forgive you. And so we're, we're turning from holding grudges against those who have sinned against us. Here's a practical test about whether or not you're still holding that grudge. Whether or not this verse, you, whether you may need to do, to do something about this verse even. I call it the grocery aisle test. So you're in the grocery store. Right? We know this. You're pushing your buggy, and you, you come around, you turn a corner, and, and we always turn these corners blind, right? You can't see down the aisle. All of a sudden, you're down the aisle, 
And who, but who is at the other end of that aisle? But fill in the blank. So who is it in your life that will cause you to either turn around, either put your head down, or become really, really interested in the ingredients on, those, on, the, on that can of corn, right? And you're like, you're burying your head and waiting for them to pass. So who, who is it in your life? Who can you pass the grocery aisle test? Are there people in your life that if you were to run into, if they're down the aisle in the grocery store, like you're, you're, you're running the other way? We had to turn from holding grudges against those who have sinned from us. And we, we process that ultimately, firstly, and primarily in prayer. We're asking him to lead us in paths that are right, to deliver us from the evil one, from things that are evil and wrong. This, the inward dimension is not just this backward glance throughout our life, it's also forward-looking. We're, we're praying about our spiritual formation. We're praying about our becoming Christ-like, our what, the, what theologians would call our sanctification, our process of becoming more and more clean, more and more like Jesus, more and more Christ-like. We're praying that we would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus. Now, some of us here in this room, and, I, and I fully, I'm, I'm happy that you're here, but some of us aren't even followers of Jesus. And we're glad you're here. We're, we totally invite you to explore the person of Jesus together with us. But you're kind of kicking the tires on who Jesus is and who the church is and what following Jesus is all about. And, you know, your questions are like, is he even true? Is the gospel true? The good news of Jesus, is it real? Is Jesus real? Is he really alive? Does this really work? Does the Christian faith really even work? What I'd encourage you to pray, this inward dimension of prayer, a prayer I'd encourage you is, Father in heaven, God, if, if, is G, if Jesus really is your son, the savior of the world, would you make that clear to me? That's a, that's a beautiful inward kind of prayer. If Jesus really is the son of God, the savior of the world, would you make that clear to me? And then don't just wait for that to kind of come out of nowhere. I'd encourage you to pray that prayer and then maybe read John's gospel that we've been working through as a church community read read the gospel of john maybe read it together with a follower of jesus praying god if jesus really is the son of god the savior of the world and lord of all would you make that clear to me as i read here and convince me deep in my heart that he really is the son of god if indeed he is that's a i think a powerful beautiful prayer that you could pray if you're doubting this and you're not sure that it's real but pray, Lord, if, if it's real, would you convince me and show me? But again, don't just wait for that like light from heaven to come and shine on you. Open the scripture. I'd encourage you to turn to John chapter 1 and read John's gospel. It'll take you like maybe an hour, not less than an hour if you read it slowly. Or read, it, read it over a period of days and read it with a follower of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, pray for your growth in Christ-likeness. That's what many of the prayers of the Bible deal with that kind of thing. Not about securing our physical needs. God, I really need a new job. I really need some more money. But about growing in our character. About who we are becoming. So um, if you come to our prayer gatherings, our prayer summits, 
uh, that we host monthly here, that you know that every single time we're, we will take some New Testament prayers uh, about this, about praying for our character, and, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll pray into these passages. So, for example, Colossians 1.9, Paul writes, he says, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking, here's what I'm asking for you, that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so Paul's praying that we want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, that you would know what's in God's heart for you, that your imagination would be liberated from the images of the Roman Empire that are promoting Caesar and his kingdom as the main thing, that you would be captured by Christ and all that is in his heart for you. And he continues, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So that your life would take on more and more of the character and the image of Jesus. And he prays, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And so Paul's praying this for the people. And he's encouraging them to pray this for themselves. This is a prayer that God loves to answer. How do we know? Because he inspired it. It's in the scripture. We want to pray according to the will of God. We pray the scripture. Pray the scripture. That he'll, he loves to bring these things into your life. There's the, the New Testament is actually full, if you have eyes to see them, full of prayers that we can join in. Philippians 1.9, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. So we pray for this kind of transformation of our own hearts. Of our own character. That we would grow in the fruit of the spirit. And love and joy and peace and patience. And on and on. So we pray for our own growth. I've been praying for more joy in my own heart. More patience. More patience. More perseverance. So inward is praying for progress in our lives, making our needs known, asking God to deliver us from the evil one. And he, there's so many promises. If we ask anything according to the will of God, he hears us, and we know that if he hears us, we have whatever we ask. Beautiful promises related to prayer. Finally, praying out. What do we mean by praying out? Notice in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 that Jesus is concerned with this world. He wants God's name to be known, loved, treasured, for his kingdom to come and bring life, joy, peace, and patience, and God's will to be fulfilled. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. That Jesus has his eye on this world. God loves this world that he's made. In all of its brokenness, weakness, rebellion, and failure, God's heart is still one of compassion. His desire is to show mercy and grace to this world. That's why Jesus has not given up on this world. That's why he came to accomplish his purpose in them and through this world. To suffer great loss so that this world could have great gain. Jesus says, I want to give richly so you can receive freely. That's why God loves, God loves this world. He sent Jesus into this world to rescue the world. So Jesus knows this and is teaching us to pray with God's mission of love and rescue in mind. You know, Matthew 9, this is a prayer that as a church we've turned to uh, many times. 
Jesus is teaching his disciples, Matthew 9, 36 to 38. Jesus looks out on the crowd and he has, says he has compassion on them because they're harassed and helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus says, I want to be a good shepherd to these people. I want to lead them in paths of righteousness. I want to bring life and joy and peace and fullness into their life. God has compassion on the crowds. His compassion on the people. If we cannot drive through our region and not have compassion on people, we've never tasted the heart of God. As you drive by places of brokenness, as you enter into places of brokenness, have you tasted the compassion of God for them, that he sees them as harassed and helpless, as sheep without a shepherd? He wants people to know his love and mercy and grace, and he wants to bring their lives under his good lordship. And so he says, Jesus looks out over the crowd, and he says, pray, therefore, the harvest is ripe and ready. I want to bring these people in. The harvest is ready to be brought in. Pray, therefore, to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. We pray that people would go out and share with them and announce this gospel of Jesus. And so we pray with the mission of God in mind. That's how the early church prayed. In Acts 4, the, the disciples, the earliest disciples of Jesus are experiencing great persecution. They're getting threatened and they're getting beaten for proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And so they gather and they pray and they don't, it's, it's, it's telling, it's instructive to me that they don't pray that the persecution, that the beatings would stop and the threats would stop. They don't even pray for justice against their perfect persecutors what they pray is god we want to be faithful to you and so give us boldness so that we would tell about the person of jesus give us courage and strength so that we would boldly make known this gospel even though it's going to cost us greatly and the holy spirit fills them and they speak with boldness look at paul's prayer in for himself in ephesians uh, Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6 is known as like the whole armor of God. And, he's, and Paul is instructing the Ephesian church on, on you know, taking up the sword of the Spirit and having the helmet of salvation and having the, the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness for this battle, the spiritual battle we're in. And he, pr- and he finishes this with prayer. He says um, in verse 18, He says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I would declare it fearlessly as I should. You pray there's this outward focus, asking God to make his people bold and courageous, to free us from the fear of other people, ready to bear the reproach of Jesus, knowing that the world hated Jesus. It will also, some will also despise his followers. And so we pray, give us spiritual power. Now, some people get a little freaked out when they hear of, you know, Christians having power. It's not that kind of power, not exercising power to lord it over people, to hurt and oppress people. It's a power that, it's not a power that's for our good at the expense of others. It's a power that enables us to be spent for the good of others. 
the kind of power that the, the world lays holds of is a power that secures good for me at the expense of others. But the power of Jesus in the gospel, the power of Jesus in the gospel is that he, he gives us a power to be sent and to be spent sacrificially to secure the good for other people. That's what Paul says here. I am in chains. I am suffering for the good of others. And God is empowering me and strengthening me to be able to do this. So are we willing... So in prayer, we need to become willing to risk mockery, to bear the reproach of Jesus. To say, I want to be about your purposes, God, so I need your power so I can sacrificially spend my life for the good of other people. There's a, maybe, maybe you feel like something's myth, missing in your life. As you follow Jesus, you have the sense of almost lightness or insignificance. Maybe it's this outward dimension that's missing. There's this story in John 4 where Jesus um, is in Samaria and he's speaking to uh, a woman who's an outcast who goes to the well by herself, the Samaritan woman. She's often referred to as the woman at the well. And Jesus engages her in conversation to the shock of everyone. Now, all of Jesus' disciples had gone into the town to get some food. And, um, And while they're away, Jesus engages this woman in conversation. And she, he has this amazing spiritual encounter, this conversation with this woman who is considered untouchable in the culture. And she's going back to the city after this conversation and says, I think I found the Messiah. And so the whole city comes out to meet Jesus. And the disciples, you know, return and they offer Jesus some food. And he says, no, I have food that you know nothing about. And the disciples are, are a little slow, especially in the Gospels. And they, they say, well, does he have bread did he get bread somewhere and jesus says no like guys when you were out getting your happy meal i was i was doing the work of god my food is to do the will of him who sent me my food is to do the will of him who sent me this is bread for me to be on mission with god to engage people with the message of god's salvation and to see their lives become free to see broken people made whole to see lost people become found To see orphans find God to be a father to them. That's food to me. That is what gives me life. And so if you feel like something is missing, could it be that? For some, it could be that, you know, Jesus and his gospel, that you actually just need to receive and become convinced of the person of Jesus and who he is and the good news of what he's accomplished. But others, it may be that you do know Christ, but what's missing is that you're not joining him on his mission in this world that you're not doing the will of the Father, that you're not experiencing this great power at work in your life until you're in the middle of something that requires it. Right? Is there anything in your life where you actually need the power of God to show up? Because we're not, maybe it's, we're not seeing the power of God at work because we're not attempting anything that demands it. And so this outward dimension of prayer says, I want to be a one who is sent by you, Father. I want to be your ambassador. I want to see you use me in this world to relieve the suffering and to share good news with those who need it. I want to be on mission. I want to join you. Last thing I want to say about prayer is that prayer is both private and corporate. Praying alone, but also praying together. In Matthew 6, which Jess read for us this morning, you know, it seems to say that Jesus, it seems to say, Jesus seems to be saying, uh, when you pray, 
Don't you dare pray with anyone else. Get in your room, get in the closet, get in the smallest room in your house, close the, close the door, close the windows, so that no one could see or hear you praying and pray alone. But what he's really talking about there is the, the praying that in order to be seen by people. He's, he's really uh, pointing out, um, you know, those uh, self-righteous, proud people who uh, are praying in order to be seen by other people. There's a difference in, in, in praying uh, in order to be seen by other people, and there's a, there's a difference from that and being seen by people while praying, right? It's a, it's a difference in, in heart, motivation, and direction. Am I praying in order to be seen so that others would see me as super spiritual as, and look up and say, wow, he's, he's a really spiritual person? Is that what's in your heart and why you're praying? Jesus doesn't intend for all our prayers to be private prayers, but for us to pray corporately too, because he teaches us to pray our, plural, Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our sins. Jesus anticipates that we're going to be praying privately, that we're going to seek him alone as an individual, but that he also assumes that we'll be praying daily and corporately. And so who are you praying for regularly in your church community? That you're interceding for them, asking for God to do great things in their heart and life. And who is praying for you regularly? Who's praying for you? Who do you know is praying for you daily or weekly at least? And if you don't have you know, answers to those questions, is it possible that church has become more of a place than a people for you? See, Cornerstone, at Cornerstone, our church is not a place. This isn't the church. We are the church. And church is not ever, never meant to be a place where you come and get your religious goods and services, but a people that you do life with and are on mission with. And so Jesus never intends his church to be only a place, but to be a people who are praying with each other and for one another, following him together in this world. And so if you're not regularly praying for people and being regularly prayed for we may need to be. You may need to move towards church becoming more of a people than a place in your life, a thing you come to on a Sunday morning. Right, in the Book of Acts, which is really the the story of the early church forming, there's a thirty mentions of prayer. Thirty times prayers mentioned in the Book of Acts. Twenty of those times are specifically corporate prayer of, of the church praying together of gathering together for the purpose of praying together. If, you know, maybe you've made prayer too private and you've not engaged in corporate prayer. You know, there's passion. There's things that get taught. I've learned more praying with other people than praying alone. One of the best things that's ever happened to my prayer life is taking the step of actually praying with other people. And as you pray with different people, you learn how do, I would never have thought of to pray for that if it were not if you hadn't modeled that for me. Or you pray, you learn to pray diff, for different things and with different heart attitudes and with with power and with passion, with sincerity. We're challenged in our prayer lives as we pray together. Again, not praying to be seen by others, but praying together for God's glory to be made known in this world. And I have. I'm going to leave it at that about prayer. But I, I just uh, 
would encourage us to become in increasing ways as we focus on the gospel, as we reflect on the good news of Jesus, to become in increasing ways a people who pray up, in, and out, who pray alone, and who pray together. Let's pray together even right now. So, Father, we come and we bow our hearts before you and say that you're worthy of our lives. You're worthy of the investment and the work, the effort of a consistent and diligent and earnest and urgent prayer life. Because, Lord, you've promised great things through prayer. And we would even just take hold of you now, Lord, in prayer and say that you have promised to hear our prayers. And so, Father, as throughout this week, as we would intentionally focus in on developing and, and fostering this habit in our lives of, of, of spending time regularly and then throughout the day seeking you in prayer, that, Lord, you would show us answers to our prayers. We pray, Lord, that you would keep your word and, and be faithful to answer, to hear the prayers of your people this week. And we pray, Lord, ultimately that uh, this world would see Jesus through us, that this world would see the good news of Jesus as we proclaim it, as we make you known. So as we think about Jesus, as we think about your love for us, that you're for us, not against us, you love to show grace and acceptance towards us. And that you're, you're able to, to, uh, to do great things because you've risen from the dead. Lord, I pray that that good news would, would foster a, a life that's devoted to prayer. And that would foster us to be a church who are, who are devoted to prayer. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.